Hello, everyone. My name is Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to a brand new episode of Hi Jinx with me, Jinx Monsoon. I am thrilled to say that my guest today is the Mad TV television sitcom comedy icon, Nicole Sullivan. Nicole has been in the TV world for years and years and years. She is the lady who never stops working. And I first discovered her on Mad TV playing her just amazingly hilarious, totally raunching it, raunch. I just fell in love with her watching her play her amazingly hilarious, raunchy, filthy, politically incorrect, at times astonishingly evil characters. And she is my guest today, and we're going to talk all about her many, many years in the business and the fabulous people she's shared a camera with. Does that is that a phrase? Shared a camera with? In the theater, we say shared a stage with. So I'm I'm creating it. Shared a camera with. She shared a camera with Jerry Stiller, Tracy Ellis Ross, Leah Remini. We're going to talk about all of it today on Hijinks. So buckle up, hunker down, and sink your teeth into some brand new Hijinks. M. Oh. M. Mom. Hello everyone, I'm Jinx Monsoon and welcome to Hi Jinx, a podcast where I, an internationally tolerated drag superstar, get to interview compelling and fascinating people about how they became who they are and why they do what they do. Today we are joined by actress and comedian Nicole Sullivan. Hi Nicole. Hi Jinx. <laughs> okay. Never now, been so happy let, to say two words in my life. <laughs> Best two words ever. You have no idea. Um, I I didn't say much to you before we started recording because I wanted all of it to be documented. Nicole, you have been one of my favorite performers for so long. Um, Mad TV, I watched it younger than I should have. <laughs> I knew all your characters. And um, you are um, the third Mad TV uh, guest, <laughs> Mad TV cast member that we've had as a guest on this podcast. And I, I don't want to qualify any of it, but you are iconic. This is huge. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had Deborah Wilson and Arden Mirren on, and you and Deborah did some just phenomenal character work together. And I asked her the same thing, and I'm going to ask you right now. Are you aware of the impact that your um, character performances, your comedy, your, your talent, are you aware of the impact it's had on the world of drag and that drag queens have been quoting you for decades? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, you know, listen, it's always very flattering to hear. So I, I appreciate that. There's no crowd I'd want to be more, uh, quoted by than the drag queen world. I, 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 <laughs> I, 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 I think I felt some of that when I went to my like a first Hollywood, the Hollywood Christmas parade, you know, in LA. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I was on a float. I don't remember what, who was sponsoring it. And I, and I saw people dressed up as the Van Combe lady at the Christmas thing. <laughs> it wasn't even the Halloween. It was Christmas. I was like, what is happening? <laughs> it was fantastic. Oh my gosh. Um, I'm going to, I don't do this all the time, but I'm going to quickly read off and this is by no means a complete list but i'm going to just read off everything people might know you from because <laughs> you have had an expansive and diverse and magnificent career and um everyone is familiar with you in one way or another but 
we're going to talk a lot about Mad TV today. <laughs> Let's be real. But um, uh, you are known for Mad TV, The Drew Carey Show, Party of Five, Law and Order, According to Jim, Crank Yankers, Monk, Boston Legal, The King of Queens, CSI, Scrubs, Rita Rocks, Cougar Town, Grey's Anatomy, Bones, The Mindy Project, Mom, and Blackish. That's, that's a very a that's a things. very good list. <laughs> My goodness. Uh, yeah, I get around, as they say. <laughs> I I'll say to you candidly, I met Phil Lamar at um, Comic Con recently, the Emerald City Comic Con, and he made an anecdote about something about you insisting on always being blonde in all of your characters. <laughs> Because you were branding yourself, and now we all have seen a multitude of characters from you. And I think Phil said something like, because everyone wants that blonde funny lady. (laughs) (laughs) Some context for people listening. Um, In case you are unfamiliar, I can't imagine anyone in my audience is unfamiliar with Mad TV. But Mad TV was always edgier, purposefully politically incorrect incorrect for the purpose of very very hilarious satire like um the characters were they pushed the envelope Darlene McBride was a white supremacist country singer uh, <laughs> and her lyrics were not subtle but always it was always very hilarious I, this is satire. one phrase I, I'm just going to sing one <laughs> Get your butt back to Mexico. Adios and that's that. Get your butt back to Mexico and then have your brat based on Anchor Babies. That was a song that was (laughs) Go Back to Mexico. No, yeah, no, it was a horrible song against Mexican people and and how we don't want your babies over here, which seemed so absurd back then to sing something horrible like that. And yet. You know, I think um, I, I, I've talked about this a lot recently with friends, and you'll be the first person I'm talking with about it publicly. But when we think back to the late 90s, early 2000s, and shows like Mad TV, and even, you know, later in the 2000s, 30 Rock, which often, um, you know, pushes the envelope with that kind of satirical commentary comedy that we're talking about and when we uh, you know we talk a lot about how a- uh, friends hasn't aged well right. and it's like where is the line where it's like um and i think the big thing about a, a lot of media that was created at that pocket of time is that we were convincing ourselves we were past the problem. Yeah, We were convincing ourselves that we were joking about something that was in the past, and the reason why we could joke about it is because it wasn't a problem anymore. And yes. that's what kind of dates some of these things. Mad TV, however, was always knew what it was doing, always knew it was doing satire, but I think there are other shows that are written in the idea that they're kind of post-racial or post, um, you know, post-inequality. So they're able to make these jokes. But as we saw quite recently in our history, we're not we're past, not past that, that is so, that, what a fascinating uh, take. And so, it's so true. Like, I hadn't thought of it that way. We really did. We thought we were commenting on the silly people we that used to exist and not, mm-hmm. and not the people that, are still being raised that way. Mad TV had a lot of things, you know, it was, it was edgier and it was a little more in your face, but it also had a lot of the things that SNL was lacking at the time. And I think that's why so many queer people also gravitated towards Mad TV because it felt more, it felt more underground and outcasty than SNL, which was like pretty white people doing sketch comedy. And Mad TV was fucking weirdos and, yes. <laughs> and all yes. the people who didn't get on to SNL. We were all we the rejects. About. Yes, it's so true. And like we would always joke like we'd go out after tape night and we'd go to like mm-hmm. this local, a local bar, like have to valet for $12 and the lot full sign would go up and you have to park around the corner in dangerous neighborhood. And we would love like, oh, I guess we're not SNL. We don't get picked up in a big limousine and brought to hang out with, you know, whatever cool, you know, with Coldplay. 
I guess we're, that's not our punk evening. punk rock, though? Like, I mean, what a, like, I mean, I, 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 being in the biz myself, I'm like, there's a lot of things that I can now look back on and appreciate, even though in the moment I was like, you know, oh, yes, <laughs> I see they flew the real celebrities in first class and then the drag queens are back here in economy comfort. But whatever, we're all going <laughs> to the same party. Economy <laughs> comfort, my ass. <laughs> the road to hell is paved with economy comfort tickets. <laughs> Bullshit. So... Yeah, you know, like I do think I I do think um you know, Sarah Silverman talks a, a, about it with her own comedy because so much of her stand up was playing this satirical character of like an ignorant white woman who didn't realize she was an ignorant white woman. And she recently made a huge shift in her comedy and kind of became a lot more politically outspoken because she was like I've been making jokes about this character as if it doesn't exist anymore and how funny to laugh at at racism. So not laugh at racist humor, but laugh at someone being racist. Like, they're the butt of the joke. Mm -hmm. But those people still exist. And I think with that was one silver lining of Trump winning is we actually got a head count on just how many people in our country still feel that way and still operate that way. Yeah, and, I mean, uh... it, it, the headcount thing is hilarious, and that is so that is so true. And looking back again, I, I'm, this is just in my mind. I'm making up rules that I'm that no one's you know safety tested. But for instance, now if if I did something and I did the Darling McBride character, it would be like, oh my god, you know, make, back back then the Darling McBride thing was really that was the one that was like. And that Vancomb lady too was like, holy shit, she's just saying horrible things to people of this and this and this. But you could almost get away with more Darlene McBride now because people would be like, it's a great country song. Like, it, and, and, it, you know what I mean? Like, they, they would be like, oh, I mean, I, I guess she's kind of making fun, but she's making fun and she kind of gets it. Like, that would be more, back then it was, Darlene was the one that was the most sort of like, oh shit. And now that would be more acceptable. Yeah. And, but then doing Lita Molina, which was really from a, a genuinely thing, like, we'd make fun of our fans, not because they were Hispanic, but because our fans never had any, they never had the words to say what they liked. They're like, um, <laughs> you play that lady home. She like, she like, um, you do like, and they try, like, it's just fans sort of fanning out, but don't have the right words. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's what we were like lovingly making fun of, but you couldn't, we couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Now I couldn't, you know, uh, uh, you know, culturally appropriate that kind of, you know, voice and accent and look anymore at all, understandably. So that's, but then the things that we thought were the most offensive are sort of par for the course. Now it, it sort of did this weird. Yeah. A little well, Monty three, card three Monty thing, whatever that game is called. And I, 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 I know I've seen comedians complaining about this kind of stuff, about these shifts and where the lines are now being drawn. But I, you know, I honestly have just thought of it as like, what a great challenge for comedians of the world Ooh. to find new ways to be funny that's not punching down to marginalized <laughs> communities. You know, right. like I. See, now, when I watch Mad TV sketches, I will, like, say to, like, especially, like, my younger friends, I'm like, now, no going into this. This is satire. It's going to sound and it's horror. <laughs> like, they're saying horrible things. But the character work is impeccable. <laughs> and, the, and the jokes that they're making are smart, astute jokes. They're just, you know, it was a different time. And I still would say that Mad TV holds up better as a satirical comedy program than Friends, which was an earnest right. <laughs> TV show. You know, like, I'll still watch fucking Friends, but I I sit there thinking, oh my God, how tone deaf could a show be <laughs> about the just, gay the, scares? and Yes, you know. <laughs> yes. And, and some of the non-representation of a place co- called New York City, which is yeah. the most diverse place you know possibly in the world <laughs> just none you didn't see any of it uh and i see until funny. season nine or something yes. <laughs> season nine they encountered their first poc character well that's not fair because lauren tom played julie early on but you know she, julie was one of the like you know very like blandly written characters they didn't give any jokes to any 
POC guest stars. No. All the jokes were for the white people. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> it, that, uh, and, to, and to look back at that now and realize, like, we can still love it. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I'll watch, you know, all that stuff. Uh, I was just coming up with other shows, but there was actually none that's quite as white as Friends. <laughs> but I'll watch all those shows. <laughs> I was like, even, even the shows I was thinking of, like, no, there's black characters in those shows. Um, but it, But to know now... That like, wow, what a disservice we did. And, you know, look, mm-hmm. and I'm not looking for any <laughs> sympathy at all, like, obviously. <laughs> but like, has my career changed dramatically? You know, the Oscar So White thing really turned a corner in casting where it's like, holy shit, we're not giving people the opportunity. And so has my, I'm the wacky best friend. I'm like 102, but like, I'm still sort of, you know, the older version of that, right? Whatever that person is, the divorcee friend, you know, whatever that, I'm that person. Well, that person, because there's, listen, we're still not casting, you know, the people of color in the main roles quite yet as much as we should. Let's just, we're going to ease into it a bit. And so a lot of my jobs have gone to people of color or different ethnicities or different, you know, uh, any sort of marginalized person. And, and so has it affected me directly? Yeah, I, I can see that it has. And I, then I think to myself, oh, but do you know how many jobs I had? Like going back to those old years, like, uh, you know, CSI or um, Party of Five. None, there was no people of color on that set. And yeah. every guest star, four lines, every single person was white. I had so yeah. many... I got to get my start in this business based on a, a, a pool of I was just competing against other white women, period. Yeah. There was no black women in the in the waiting rooms when I was started out. And that's meaning there was no like, we'll see any color for this role. It was not that back then. And so I benefited so tremendously for all the wrong reasons that I'm so honored to say like, fuck, go, go, go. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, it, it's it's a different and people deserve. And and there are so many actresses we lost because they didn't see themselves on TV. They didn't know they could be an actress. You know, they didn't know yeah. that they could be wacky best friend. Right. Yeah. That's a part that people have come into. You know, auditioning is one of the most unnatural things in the world. You know, <laughs> like you've got to make a good impression as yourself while also trying to play a character. And then the audition starts the moment you walk in the door. And and it's such a mind fuck. That's why um, my teachers always used to say, uh, you treat yourself to something after every audition. Like, even if it's, you know, like a piece of candy, like yeah. Pavlovian, give yourself a little, like, attaboy for, <laughs> for, for even going through that. Oh, that's so um, nice. So we, I mean, like, I could talk to no end about, you know, drag queens performing characters that you created on Mad TV, just the backstage conversations we have entirely in Mad TV quotes. Uh, And like I said, I don't want to qualify anything, but there was a golden age of Mad TV, especially for the female comedians. It was you, Mo Collins, Deborah Wilson, Alex Borstein, and I believe there was a sliver of time where Stephanie Weir yes. were, were yes, yeah, where she was the in end, there. At, yeah. Exactly. But yeah, we were all we were out. all there together. That 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 you just got it right. Those we were all in the same time. That was the sweetest spot, the golden time for drag queens on Mad TV was all five of you ladies together because you were all so fantastic, created so many wonderful characters. Um, that's what's so, 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 so quotable. That, that, so great. Those, so those five, those five women you just said, like, what's so great is when Mad TV started, you know, sketch comedy is a, a, a bastard of a, a thing. You know, you, you read 20 sketches at your table read and, you know, seven get picked or, you know, it was very competitive and quite unpleasant. Like I did not enjoy those first couple of years, really. I mean, I had fun, but it was very stressful for me. It was really my first big gig. And 
you know, Phil, like, I was, I really wanted to be nice. And Phil was, Phil who does not bullshit. He's like, it's not about you. You got to relax. And I was like, I just, I was like a puppy. I just like, and I wanted to be in all the sketches and I wanted everyone to be my friend. And I want to sit with everyone at lunch, like, you know, just too much, too much. And you know, that I got jaded pretty quickly, which it needed to happen for me to calm down. But after those first couple of years, then when these, like that little, that group of women, I rooted for each one of them, just like you were saying, as much as I did for myself. When I saw Stephanie with her little tiny, tiny gloves, like I saw, <laughs> I mean, when I saw that, I was like, I was falling off my chair and, you know, Mo taking Stuart's mom to a whole next level of, mm-hmm. of here. Stuart's the, maybe possibly the funniest character ever ever of live. Yeah. And I saw him do it <laughs> at Groundlings. And I said, to the producers like, we got to get that guy on the show. And I mean, he's obviously was well known in Groundlings already, but, um, but, but, he, and then she took that most amazing character and then built one equally as amazing on top yes. of it, which is hard to do. And Mo and Deborah, I always said, Deborah was money. Like, so during the week we rehearsed, you read, do a table read on Monday and, they pick the scripts and then you get your, they pick the sketches. And then on Tuesday you get your script for the week and Tuesday you start rehearsals. And so you rehearse Tuesday and Wednesday and then Thursday you camera block, but also shoot a couple things that are harder to shoot in front of an audience. And then Friday's the live show. And Deborah would, we'd be rehearsing and Deborah would be trying shit like just different accents or uh, like she's like she's no she's got one leg. I was like Deborah, she doesn't have one leg. What are you fucking doing? She would try the weirdest shit that was so not. And you're like, I have to hurt, and you can't be like shutting someone down creatively. Like that's stupid. Yeah. You have to sort of let people. <laughs> Deborah would try all this shit, and you'd be like, Oh god, this is gonna suck. And then on Friday, in front of an audience, I've never, I never saw her miss. I never saw her miss. <laughs> she hit every joke exactly right. She was she was my favorite person in that. I was like, she's like, well, it's it, like all this stuff was to prepare her to just fucking slay it on Friday. She yeah. was money, 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 money. It's it, it it was you know it's it's also so exciting to see the careers. Um, y'all have had since Mad TV and seeing all the different ways that like those skills that you honed on Mad TV are serving you in um, different areas of entertainment. Phil Lamar has obviously been on Futurama for uh, they just got rebooted again. I and, know. Uh, <laughs> do you want to hear, hear a fun fact about that? I was yeah. originally the Cyclops character. Really? Yes. I did the I did the first, I, sh- I recorded the first two episodes of that of Futurama. And oh wow! Yeah, and then Matt Greening called me to let me know that my services were no longer needed. <laughs> the only we, job I've I, ever been fired for, only job ever. <laughs> get fired a lot, not because of anything they've done, just because they think something should go a different way. The only job I've ever been fired from, and it just, it just is what the the cost of an of a lake house up in uh, at Lake Arrowhead. That's what I've, a three million dollar lake house I could have had. Sorry, it's cool. It's cool, man. I don't mind. I don't mind. Katie Seagal needs the money. Katie Seagal is... You should have it. Well, um, I, you know, I am a sucker for um, family appropriate, like family-friendly sitcoms. I, I watch all of them. I get teased relentlessly by my friends. I've watched every episode of Everybody Loves Raymond. Mm-hmm. I have watched practically every episode of King of Queens. Um, so I am very uh, familiar isn't with that you. The, isn't it the oddly most comforting show to watch? It is a very comforting show. It's good when, you, when you've had a long travel day and you just want to relax at the end of the day, yeah. when your eyes are getting weary and your back is getting tight. <laughs> <laughs> I I really do love King of Queens. Um, Leah Remini's fantastic. Oh, she's amazing. Kevin James is lovable. But the you get to work primarily with... Um, uh, Jerry, Jerry Stiller, Stiller yeah. <laughs> um, uh, just such an amazing comedian and and performer. And you did you were his uh, you were like his babysitter. You were a dog walker who gets hired to take um, Leah Remini's father, Jerry Stiller, 
on walks and and you develop a strong friendship with this cantankerous old man. What was it like working with Jerry Stiller? Is it everything a young comedian would hope it would be? <laughs> I mean, I was young. I was young enough to be utterly in awe and old enough to even know who he was from, <laughs> you know, from his days when he worked with his wife and Mira and they shot a commercial on my street when I was growing up and like a wine commercial, <laughs> like they were on a picnic blanket in the middle of the street in New York. And I, I just remember that, but uh, he's a genius. He, to say like, he doesn't even know he's funny is not right because he obviously knows he's funny. Like he's been doing it as he did it his entire life since he was a kid. Mm-hmm. So he knows it, but he doesn't play to it. He just It's so mm-hmm. natural to him that he doesn't have to hit a joke ever. He never is like, like other comedians, you see all of us like ramp up and then a joke comes out. Everything's a <laughs> yeah. joke. It's all joke world. Like he's never particularly enamored with one sentence over the other. He's so in the character that everything he says is funny. So it's like he doesn't even know where his laughs are half the time because he's just doing the character. And then people are like, oh, like, Jerry, you have to hold for a laugh. He's like, okay, 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 okay. And he's amazing. And he, as he was getting older, it was harder. You know, it's harder to remember lines as you get older. I'm, you know, I, I experienced it myself. And they offered him to have an earpiece. And he's like, absolutely not, won't do it. And so he was such a hard worker. He was running lines all the time to make sure he was, he was up to par on show night. And every, everything that came out of his mouth was amazing. And I mean, there's nothing funnier. That experience was so funny to me because it's, it's sort of a visual, <laughs> but so every scene I was in on that set, I, I would enter. I was never in the scene when they said action. I was never in the room, right? Starting on the couch, never. Mm-hmm. I was always outside the door, <laughs> right? Just waiting to come in. Hey guys. Yeah. And so imagine me listening to Jerry Stiller do his thing in the kitchen and I'm holding five dogs on a set <laughs> five dogs they're now they're trained dogs but like tra- even trained dogs aren't like robots they're like and i knew i knew all of their stage names which they're <laughs> names they had different names so i knew that you know on camera he was twister uh back over here his name was fred so i was like fred fred not and i'm trying to get all these dogs but in a row and you know not the ones whining but you have to enter like with some sort of suave and try to enter with five dogs <laughs> to match jerry stiller's comedic like energy happening oh just me sweating and you know king of queens is obviously supposed to be, supposed to be in new york and so they they wanted to dress me up as quirky which meant mm-hmm. sweaters i guess that was how they read quirky was lots of patterned sweaters <laughs> and patterned hats you know wool caps with the little dangly things i was sweat i was sweating every time i was acting i was like so hot in my sweater in la so <laughs> five dogs and jerry stiller it was hilarious <laughs> it was one of the best ex- experiences of my life and it was so exciting you know for me as like when I say, you know, like I've been a fan of you for a long, a long time. And um, as an early fan of Mad TV and the the performers on it, it is always such a joy anytime any of the members of that golden era of Mad TV pop up anywhere else in my world. <laughs> you know, like what I see and and then to see like the juxtaposition of some of the characters you played on Mad TV and then see you playing this wholesome, lovely, charming, endearing character on one of the like um, most comforting shows on television. Then to see you um, again as a recurring character on Blackish and <laughs> find a Blackish your character because Blackish, um, you know, is like a family appropriate sitcom. But it's a little edgier than, say, King of Queens, and it tackles, um, you know, important issues. It also has a lot more like, yeah, it's got more edge and grit to it and the comedy and the style of jokes and stuff. And it goes a little darker at times. It felt like seeing you then playing this like this white next door neighbor lady who is constantly saying the wrong thing in her effort to try to be <laughs> politically right. correct right. in her effort to be a good white ally. She's oftentimes putting her foot in her mouth. It felt like finding this balance between um, the 
edgy Nicole Su- uh, Sullivan of Mad TV, the wholesome Nicole Sullivan of King of Queens, and now you get to be a little bit of everything on Blackish. <laughs> yes. That's, uh, how that's was, perfectly How put. was that experience? <laughs> that's exactly it. It's, it's, she, you know, this woman, you know, Janine was, has, was, she's been this way her whole time and her whole life. And then a black family moves to her neighborhood and she goes through all of those things that privileged white people think like, are they going to bring the, is the price of our house is going to go down? What are people going to think? And are they going to, are the kids going to roll up in some car and, and, you know, bouncing, like, you know, all those, that's what she thinks. But she genuinely likes them, thinks they're fun and interesting and really mostly just wants them to be her friend. Like she's just, <laughs> she's a lonely woman who would really like to hang out with them because she thinks they're fun and funny. <laughs> But she doesn't know how to do it. She doesn't know how to ask for that. She puts her foot in her mouth. My favorite, my favorite thing that just we one of the Halloween episodes we did. She shows up and uh, Rainbow is in her scrubs because she's a, a doctor on the show, or she's a, that character is a doctor, and she shows up and I'm in a nurse's outfit or something. I forget. And I was like, Oh my god, twinsies! We just alike. She's like, Well, actually, I I just came off of work and I was like, What? She's like, I'm a I'm a I'm a doctor, and I was like, "Oh my god, you're hilarious!" Anyway, and she's like, <laughs> "She's not telling the truth." She's like, "Oh my god, you're silly." So anyway, I'm gonna bring the kids by at five. And just like in her mind, a black female doctor did not make any sense to this woman. Yeah. That's that's Janine, but but at the same time, she was excited to bring her kids over to hang out. Like, yeah, that's the dichotomy. It, I, I I loved I loved playing Janine. It was fun. Yeah, you know, it's um. Like, I can hear the homework you did with this character to get yourself into a mindset, which I'm sure you don't share. Um, And it reminds me kind of of playing... uh, I played Velma Von Tussle in Hairspray. Yes. Favorite role I've ever played because I love playing villains. I love playing the bad guys because it's, you know... It's meaty. I also love um, I also love a character that just makes choice appearances and I spend a lot of time backstage. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I I was like, how do I get myself into the mindset of a <laughs> racist white lady? And I was like, oh, I guess I've been pre- preparing for this my whole life, just living in the communities I've lived in. But I decided to take Velma to the level of like Wicked Witch of the West. So that it was like... <laughs> So that we could feel okay laughing at, you know, this this unsavory character. And I feel like, you know, playing that kind of that dichotomy in this woman's mind, like she's having her 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 whole lifestyle shaken up and challenged for the first time. And she's all ready for the challenge, but she has no tools or resources. None. None. <laughs> she's trying so hard to be accepting and loving and she can't figure out how to do it. And she's so sad that they don't want to hang out with her. She's so, every time they close the door, Anthony, Anthony was always closing the door. My character knows. I was like, oh, 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 always like leaning in. No, 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 no. She just wanted to be invited in and they never invited her in. They never wanted her over. And that that role is, you know, so important to that show, you know, like for, for, I mean, I love Blackish. I love the performances. How can you get better than Tracy Ellis Ross and Jennifer Lewis playing off of each other? They are amazing. You know, I stand by the fact that the two best actors I've ever worked with, and I'm saying actors, not, um, there's no like no race or not um, gender to what I'm saying. The best yeah. actors I've ever worked with are Leah Remini and Tracy Ellis Ross. Wow. They are, and not just a female, as the best actors, they are so, they listen so well. So if you change what you're doing, they change with you. Mm-hmm. And as when you're playing someone like Janine, like it's a luxury. You get a little, like you said, you get to dip in, dip out. And I would always do the first two as written. And then they would say, you know, have some fun. Or they even stopped saying it. I just knew after I got two in, then I would mm-hmm. just start making shit up. And I I never lost Tracy Ellis Ross once. <laughs> like whatever I did, she was she said something funnier back. Like she just is listening so well and so her her comic presence is so innate that everything and same thing with Leah Remini. Everything Leah Remini says is brilliant. And you can't lose her. You you she doesn't get confused by anything you give her because she's listening. <laughs> Fantastic. I love them. 
Um, I and it, it's it, you know Blackish is such a such a wonderful show and um, gives provides you know it's kind of funny because it's it's providing the Janines of the world an easy easily accessible mm-hmm. introduction. To mm-hmm. how not to be a Janine. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. She was the Karen and before there was Karens. There was no Karens exactly. when I started it. And then Karens came and people were going like, well, I'm not the person that tells them to shut down their barbecue. I'm not that bad. But they, but they're Janine bad. You know what I mean? <laughs> they're yeah. Janine bad. And by the way, Janine might have shut down the barbecue. But but, <laughs> but you're exactly right. It's a way. And you see this woman, Janine, trying. She's at least trying mm-hmm. and failing but she's trying and i think it gave people a way to see their own faults in in the way they sort of exactly. phrase things i mean i learned i learned so much from that show like i didn't even know about juneteenth until i yeah until i watched that episode and i was like wait what happens i mean i grew up in new york city like i you know i was not a sheltered little kid i there's so much you don't know because you don't, especially if you think you know, right? If you think you know what's going on. I've had plenty of gay friends. I've had black friends my whole mm-hmm. life. When you think you know, that's when you get complacent. And that yeah, is just and you as shut problem. down because you tell yourself, oh, I've learned what I need to learn. And, exactly. and then when someone tells you, oh, there's still a lot more you need to learn. And then when you're someone who's already signed off and dusted your hands off, that's then when you see people getting like frustrated and that frustration turns to defensiveness. And Uh that's why I think the character of Janine is so important. And like hearing you talk about the the kind of the thought process behind that character and how you get into the mindset of that character. It's like, you know, <laughs> it's this funny thing of like, someone's got to play the racist on the show because yeah. that role is important. <laughs> you know? it's, you gotta be able there. to see, see how it works. <laughs> uh, th- that's so true. And I think what's, what we're talking about like shutting down, I think where you're talking about the frustration um, mm-hmm. I'm a little, I'm a little bit of a political nerd. So just bear with me if I get too <laughs> weird, but like the, the people, so let's say I'm average Joe American, uh, you know, somewhat open-minded, right? Somewhat. Mm-hmm. And it took me a minute to figure out that like, oh, I guess love is love. I guess gays, you know, can, I mean, I don't like them in the military <laughs> that much. So maybe we could just shut up, in the, but you know what? I guess they can marry who they want to marry. Right. That's, that's mostly most of America basically agrees that they should be able to be with who they want to be with. Okay. At this point. Great. Yeah. So we're there. And then, well, now you're going to bring in someone that they're telling me they're not a man or a woman. I, I already learned this. I already did my job. I'm done. I, I, I forgave all the gays and they're now allowed to be married. (laughs) You're welcome. You're welcome. And those are the people that it's hardest for because they feel like they gave part of what they they're they gave in on something and they don't want to give what they anymore. perceive yeah exactly they they're, 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 they're not realizing never. that they actually never gave up anything oh, right. exactly <laughs> yes they're just what they're not fine. realizing is they have the same <laughs> amount they always have had mm-hmm. and and i do believe like you know um when you mentioned not knowing about Juneteenth before and myself, I knew about Juneteenth, but didn't know the whole history about it. Like I knew that it was a significant um, holiday in the black community and I knew the gist of it, but the episode on blackish that it, uh, introduced mainstream America to Juneteenth mm-hmm. um, was, you know, like the most information I've been given on it. And it really makes me realize that that is, for better or for worse, the impact that media and mainstream media yes. has in our lives, maybe especially as Americans. Like, and when we think back to what you were talking about earlier, where there was no POC people in the audition room, and now we're at this place where there's more representation than ever before, and more importantly, a lot more of... Um, the people who lived the experiences, being the one to write the script, produce yes. the script, direct yes. the script, act in the script. So people are telling their own stories. And and now, I, I, I mean, like, unfortunately, I think that's the, the best chance we have towards educating 
the masses of America is through our mainstream media. So the more steps we take forward in representation and what stories we choose to tell, the less Janines there are in the world. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. I I totally agree. And I think it's so interesting you're talking about the right, like the people that aren't able to create their own content. Like in one lifetime, they've gone from being not being able to get a job to maybe getting a writer's assistant job and staying there. And then, oh, I guess they're, we have to do equal opportunity hiring. So then they get a job. And then, 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 and now they're running, sh- like they're in, they went from this to there in their lifetime. Now it's not everyone's privileged. People that came mm-hmm. before them didn't get that opportunity, right? It's a, you know, we're looking at a span of, you know, 20 years that this has happened. And the people after them will have the benefit of what they've done. But these people that, that you and I know, uh, you know, of a certain age, They've they've walked that walk and got to at least say like not at least they've gotten to say I we it changed because we finally said something we stopped being quiet. You've had an amazing career. You continue to have amazing um uh, amazing work. Uh, you're one of my favorite people in the world. What's Nicole Sullivan like at home these days? You got two kids. Yeah. You, you live in L.A. Well, What's sure. home life like? Sure. And do your kids ever pull up old YouTube videos of your sketches and quote them back at you? Are there sketches they're not allowed to watch yet? What's it been like uh, raising kids, uh, having a history in um, edgy, envelope-pushing comedy? Uh <laughs> The level to which they don't give a shit about me and my career is you couldn't, there's no, there's no machine that could afford it. How high that level of, they don't care. And uh, they don't want to hear me. I'm like, I'm like, you watch cartoons. I'm on cartoons. Just watch the cartoon I'm on. Nope. Nobody, nope. they go right off that to another cartoon. They don't want to hear me sounding different. They don't think anything I did in Mad TV is interesting or funny. I mean, I'm hoping maybe once they get over, maybe in college, they'll find some humor in it. Like maybe a friend thing and they'll be like, oh, that's my mom. Um, yeah, they, they, are, they are actively not my fans. Like they go out of their way not to be a fan. <laughs> I guess that's for the best. I mean, I don't have any kids, but if my f- best friends were fans, none of this would work, you know? <laughs> right, right. They, they don't, yeah, they don't want to have, they don't want to have, I'm definitely not on a pedestal as far as creativity goes. <laughs> I can't even, are you, I can't even touch their dioramas. Like, mom, I'm like, well, you put the clouds are shitty. I want to make better clouds with cotton. Nope. My idea about cotton clouds, that's a horrible idea, mom. Nope. That's, that's, that's kids. <laughs> Um, By the way, I make you, great dioramas. I don't mean I'm not I'm not I don't want to chew my own horn, but if I'm good at one thing, it's making a goddamn dior- diorama. <laughs> I was never good at anything that required digital dexterity. You know, my <laughs> fingers are very clumsy. Um, <laughs> but you you hold a drink quite well. I've seen it. <laughs> I, I I can hold a drink. Yeah. Um, let me ask: Do you have a favorite? an all-time favorite sketch or an all-time favorite character from Mad TV. And say they were, say they were going to get the old cast back together <laughs> for, for a reunion or a, a, or, a, a, would you be interested? Are, are your days of Mad TV done or are, are do you still, would you still dip your toes back in? <laughs> you know, I, I listen. Sketch comedy is is built for the young. You know what I mean. As you get older, it just it's a little awkward to watch older people do it. In some, you know. But then again, Steve Martin hosts SNL and he's fantastic. But um, I would certainly not be against anything that involves a. If all of us were there, a group mm-hmm. fun thing, I would be all for that. Um, uh, as far as my favorite, you know. I like them. I really enjoyed doing them all. Like it was all really fun. I loved Antonia, the one. Hello, how are you? Hello, I have a cat named Thee, <laughs> and I loved her because that's really how I talked to my cat. I had a cat named Cece, and I was hello, Thee, how are you today? And I would just talk to her in that voice, and then we made it into a weird character, and, it, and we did a bunch of uh, Antonias. Hello, um, I loved her, and I re- I really did like doing Lita and Melina because they were so 
they were so weirdly joyful about everything. They were up for mm-hmm. anything. Like my other characters were very judgmental. Uh, and that I loved doing that. I loved the sass. But I liked Lita Molina because they were sassy with each other. Like, you're stupid. You're stupid. But they but they loved world. They loved life. And I, I enjoyed yeah. playing that a lot. <laughs> it, it was a lot of fun watching you and Deborah uh, riff off of each other in those characters. And yeah. um, I just, I mean, last bit of gushing. If my teenage self knew that one day I'd be sitting in my drag closet talking Ooh. to you over a Zoom call. I mean, let alone the fact that we're on a fucking Jetsons video call. I mean, um. but I need to, I need to, because I, I, I didn't want to do like a, and you too, and you too. Like, you have to understand, my friends, we, we the, my first of all, my friend Bruce McCoy writes on, on RuPaul, uh, has for mm-hmm. years and years, uh, amazing. But like, my friends, are so excited that I'm talking to you. Like they're like, can we? They're like, is there any way to add us onto the Zoom and we won't say anything? I was like, no, I don't think that's professional. I don't think that's how it works. Uh, you are such a light. You are such a beautiful, beautiful bright light in performing. In in, in your performances are so generous. I can't. I don't know how else to explain it. But just they include people. They're very generous. It's just beautiful. Well, thank you so much. And, and people I- are such fans of yours but but in that in that really awesome way where they just friggin like you they just like you and that's a great that's hard to accomplish well it's it's i mean i i could go on and on i learned so much from watching mad tv at an early age and also i learned so much about comedy and it was so nice to see at a young age, and like I said, probably younger than I should have been watching that show. Yes, I <laughs> but imagine. But I also started. I started drag at fifteen, so whatever. Look, you had you had uh, to get there. You had to get there fast. I understand. You have to do I, your diligence. You had to do your homework. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, I just learned so much about satire and so much about character work, and and like I said different from SNL and like SNL might be the name of American sketch comedy, but we had mad TV. We, we did have our own, we, we really we, did. We had our, we own, had a different we had our world. own experience. We had a yeah. beautiful experience that not everyone had, but a lot of people did. And it, we had it. And it, when you see someone else that enjoys it the way we enjoy doing it, it's, it's so fulfilling. Like I wish everyone in life could have, the like the sense of like I did something that meant something. I really have that yeah. feeling, and that I wish that for every person in the world, whether it be big or small. Like it, you know, it's the best feeling in the world. <laughs> yeah, and it's like when people say, you know, I get so much inspiration from your work, and I'm like, me sitting up there on stage talking about being a slut, taking every dick I meet, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> but that's but it's that uh, like um, what you were mentioning, like that. Um, generosity Generosity. it's 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 when you can tell the performers are having fun doing what they're doing it almost doesn't matter what the jokes are because i'm like i'm talking about dicks i'm talking about puking in elevators and stuff and then Mm -hmm. people say i'm inspired by your work and i'm like oh they're inspired by the fact that i feel confident to get up there and talk about this yes like you said the stories are necessarily they're inspired by the puke in the elevator but 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 it's it's including it's you're you include people when you talk you you and it's not self what's it called when you make fun of yourself no, I forget the word self deprecation yes it's not <laughs> it's not that anymore it's it's bigger than self deprecation humor it's 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 like just including it's inclusion and and I always say when people watch shows I'm like. Uh, my goal is to always make people like me. This goes back to the blonde thing. Maybe perhaps <laughs> if I fill is like, I wanted people to like me. People root for people on TV. They root for the, the real person that's playing the part. They root for the person mm-hmm. behind the stories and the glam. They root for the person. And if you can get that, you've, you've created like a connection that can't be disturbed. And that connection means the world as far as keeping a job for us, right? Keep, <laughs> I, I want to keep working. And they and they get to take something with them after the show ends. Like the connection's what wow. it's about. And and getting people to like me, even if I'm a bad guy, you know, Janine's not a likable yeah. person, but you get people to like the person under the person. And that keeps that keeps things going, you know? She was written as a one-off. Yeah. 
She was just going to be like the, you know, a mean neighbor. But you, you get people to like you, and that's what you do as well. And it's, you know, it's, you know, Brad Pitt does it as well. I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> I don't know what Brad Pitt does. Well, um, we've had a few guests on this podcast who were written into one episode or their character was a one-off and they were such a delight to work with and they brought mm-hmm. so much to the role that the role continues on and on and it's obvious that um you know it's obvious from your many years in the business but it's also just obvious from the the work that you've done and the performances that you've given that you are a joy to work with and you must really like this job because you keep doing it I keep doing it I really do I really like what I do for a living and I'm, I'm, you know, blessed is such an overused word. I feel very lucky and blessed, whatever the, whatever, you know, poster term you want to add to it, whatever's knitted on a pillow. The nom I, du jour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel very lucky to, to do, and I feel very lucky to meet people like you, like, uh, to meet the people that, that have struggled and worked hard and gotten something from hard work and connection with an audience those are that's what works in the entertainment business yeah (laughs) yeah Nicole, I have some compulsory questions that I ask every guest you may answer them however you feel um my first question for you is, who is your celebrity crush today? The Ryans are always going to be at the top of the list, right? <laughs> the Ryans. Uh, I'm gonna, Gosling. Yeah. I'm going to go uh, I'm going to go with uh, Gosling today. Okay. Yeah, cuz I I kind of just want to have sex. I I want to hang out with Ryan Reynolds. I want like I uh-huh. want to you know get rid of his wife and and take over her life <laughs> and hang out with him but i but in lieu of that i would have sex with ryan reynolds i mean with ryan uh, gosling hell if ryan reynolds feels like coming too <laughs> i mean i'll take either one i'll take either one but uh yeah the, the ryans are always at the top of my list I'm going to say for mine today is Daniel Ratcliffe because I just saw a, a, a trailer of him as Weird Al. And I'm just kind of loving this trajectory that Daniel Ratcliffe is on because he's obviously right? one of those. I, I think it's a similar story to like Macaulay Culkin. They made so much money at such a young age that now they they act because they want to and they and they just do things that they want to do, not because... Like, I mean, there's no way Daniel Ratcliffe is performing for money. No, yeah, he can't get, they can't, they couldn't pay him enough to make it worth his while. Yeah, there's no money. Exactly. There's no paycheck out there. So he's been doing all these projects that seems like this is just what he really wanted to do. He wanted to play this devil in that movie and he wants to play this angel in that show. And now he's playing weird Al Yankovic. I love that. And I, back in the day, I remember everyone saying like weird Al was like the nicest human being alive. Like the coolest dude. I have no idea if that's That's, true, but I've, I've heard some cool things about him. (laughs) (laughs) That was was beautifully cryptic. Okay. Good. (laughs) Well, I, I, it would all be paraphrasing if I should. Right. <laughs> my next question for you is, are you spiritual? Oh my God, I love that question. I am. <laughs> I am spiritual. Yeah. Uh, I've got a higher power that works for me. Um, it's not the one I grew up with in the, the Catholic Church. Um, I call God a he still out of, it, uh, my friends make fun of me because I always say he and I'm like, I don't, it's not a, it's not a dude with a beard and a, you know, a, yeah. <laughs> a staff, but I, you know, it's some stuff burnt in, but I, I'm trying more to say the universe instead of he, because I don't like, I don't like the male, you know, attachment to it. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to sort of slowly let that go. But my God is fantastic. My God is, uh, is water and my God is air and my God is rainbows and my God is, uh, uh my sick child. My dog is, my God is my dog. <laughs> you know, you get it. But yes, I am. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was, that was so lovely, lovingly put, you know, it was, I asked this question to every guest and um, 
the spirituality question uh, either elicits a huge, long explanation or a short yes or no. Um, that was a lovely, succinct. <laughs> <laughs> it had a it, it had a joke in there when you said dog. <laughs> Perfect answer. Good, good, good. <laughs> My final question for you is: What is your go-to karaoke song? Um, it's Debbie Boone. It's a it's a like an oldie sort of uh, lazy one, but Debbie Boone. Um, uh, oh shoot. You know, um, no, oh, hold on. Give me one second. I know it. Uh, all right. Well, oh, I'll forget that one. Um, I'll, my second one is Sheena Easton. I'm almost over you. I almost could be too. When you come back around after painting the town, you'll see. I'm almost over you. <laughs> um, that was perfect. Do you know, I just have to tell you, Deborah Wilson sang almost the entirety of Moon Dance. <laughs> oh, she, guys, and she's she, not, she's not succinct. There's nothing about Deborah Wilson that is succinct. That, that I, bitch I, is crazy. I love I her so like goddamn I had much. gone to church after we, we, it felt like I went to the one person church of Deborah Wilson. <laughs> Um, if anyone's ever bored, just Google Deborah Wilson, Whitney Houston, <clears throat> because it is yeah. such, she's so, it's obviously tragic because she's, you know, died of an overdose. And so the drugs were, but Deborah Wilson playing her is hilarious. And, but, but you get to hear Deborah sing as she plays yeah. her and Deborah, Deborah's voice is unbelievable. And, you know, I would say that the impersonations that y'all did on Mad TV probably is why drag queens resonate with the female performers on Mad TV so much that your impersonations and your character work was so similar and uh, so of the same life of drag. You know, yeah. like just what you were saying just now, Whitney Houston's story is tragic. Yet we can still have fun remembering Whitney Houston because comedy comes from a place of reverence, you know, like impersonation, I think, you know, impersonation can either be done like maliciously or it can be done from a place of reverence. And when it's done from a place of reverence, you can make those jokes about, you know, like, I mean, I recently did Judy Garland and I was making jokes about her being kind of loopy, you know, but I do believe there's a way to still be funny and still be reverent. So you can joke about the tragedy in a way that says we're laughing through the pain of losing this person. Blah, blah, blah. That's what I see I on Mad TV with Deborah and Whitney. And um, I, yeah, the rest I of the, by the way, when I saw your closet, I was like, oh, that's that was my dressing area. That was my area in Mad TV. It looked exactly like that. With like, and I had like seven wigs, you know, like on the heads. Uh, it just made me brought me back. And they absorb the sound when I'm doing podcasts. Oh, it's, so. it's like, closets are the best. Yeah. You have been such a lovely guest. This has been such a dream come true. Do you have anything you would like to promote to my listeners? Or would you like to let them know where they can find you and follow you on social medias? I know you haven't tweeted in a year. I know. You know what? I, I got off. I follow you on it, Instagram. I got off because <laughs> of, of uh, uh, the Trump, the politics was making me bananas. And I, it was self-care for me to leave Twitter. But, but I'd mm -hmm. like to get back on because I do. I, I love comedy. And there's so many funny people on Twitter that I do want to get back yeah. into like laughing during my day. So I would love that. Um, I'm uh, at Sullivan Nicole, no dashes or anything, just my name reversed. Sullivan Nicole at, at all of it. Um, <laughs> I'm not on the TikTok yet, but I do love TikTok. Um, and uh, uh, upcoming, I'm, uh, there's a show called Sex Lies of College Girls on HBO Max, <laughs> which is just like sort of a raunchy female uh, insight. And I play a mom on that, but I'm just, I'm plugging the show. It's a Mindy Kaling project. I'm plugging the show oh, awesome. because it's, it's brilliant. Um, and other than that, I'm just like in, I'm beyond thrilled to meet you. And because we, <laughs> we, we are the same, right. You're saying like, we're that group, those people, the, the outcasts and obviously I'm a white woman, it's a different situation, but the, the mad TV, we're like, we, we get it, you know, like 
people say, oh, she's pretty. I'm like, no, I'm pretty for sketch, <laughs> not pretty for a movie. <laughs> I'm not movie pretty. Oh. I'm, pr- I'm pretty sketch comedy oh, pretty. Hush. It's a very, it, you know, but it's a, but I, it's, it's good to see one of us and talk to one of us. You know what I yeah. mean? <laughs> no, absolutely. This has just been a dream come true. And thank you so much for your time. And thank you for being my guest, Nicole Sullivan. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for having me. You're a doll. And thank you all so much for listening to Hi Jinx here on the Forever Dog and Moguls of Media Network. My name is Jinx Monsoon, and we have new episodes every Wednesday, so make sure to search for Hi Jinx on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe. You can follow me at the Jinx on Instagram or at Jinx Monsoon everywhere else, and I'll see you next Wednesday for some more. Hi Jinx! Hi Jinx! Oh. M. Mom! To listen to Hi Jinx one day early and ad free, sign up for Mom Plus at mompodcasts.plus. Hi Jinx is produced by Moguls of Media, aka Mom, hosted by me, Jinx Monsoon, and produced by Joseph Shepard. Editing and sound design by Will Pitts. Executive produced by Willem Belli, Alaska Thunderfuck, Big Dipper, and Joe Cilio. <laughs>